But in John chapter 5, so we have saw the, the man at the pool of Bethesda. Christ has went there to the hospital per se and brought this one man up and he walked away carrying his bed. He was accused of the Jews. And I realize this is a fast review, but sometimes I feel like we say this stuff a thousand times. He was accused of the Jews of carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. Um, here was a work of God, a transforming work of God done in this man's body that was unmistakable. And here he is showing the glory of God by leaving the hospital per se and carrying his bed and, and going to the glory of God. And they said, well, wait a minute, you can't carry that bed on the Sabbath day. And we looked at the law of the Sabbath. We saw that it doesn't say you can't carry your bed on the Sabbath day. But that's the way it works. Man adds and adds and adds. Man's legalistic. Man wants it to be about him. Man would like for it to be about his works. And so even the carrying of this man's bed was thought of as a violation. And they, they said, who, who told you to do this? And he didn't know who it was at the time. But Jesus came back and spoke with him. And when Jesus did, he went back to the Jews and said it was Jesus that told me to carry my bed. And from that time, the Bible says, they wanted to slay him. They wanted to get rid. Now, he had already cleansed the temple. We saw that. He's already worked miracles. There's already been a groundswell, a stirring in Israel. And these men we know later on in the Gospels for envy. They wanted to deliver him to Pilate. Pilate recognized that it was envy. And John himself will show us that they didn't want to lose their position to Jesus Christ. Now that sounds, maybe that sounds harsh, but that happens today as well. Man doesn't want to lose his position to give the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they come to Jesus here and they said, uh, they accused him of this working on the Sabbath day. And Jesus says, My father's worked hitherto, and I'm working. Uh, it's no surprise that the father has worked on the Sabbath day. God has blessed on the Sabbath day. God has kept life on the Sabbath day. God has protected all things on the Sabbath day from the creation. And Jesus said, just as my Father has worked hitherto up to this point, I work also. And that brought up a greater hatred because He made Himself equal with God. And now with just that phrase in the Gospel that takes away any opportunity for man to say that Jesus was just a good man or He was a prophet. Because if He was a prophet and He claimed to be the Son of God and He wasn't, then He was a lying prophet. And by the Word of God, that's not a prophet of God. If He was a good man, then at minimum He was a liar. So you've got two extremes. He either is who He says He is. He's the Son of God or he's an evil and wicked deceiver. You can't have any in the middle. And so here the Lord Jesus begins this discourse to show his equality with the Father. 19 through 29, that's what that's all about. The Father is not going to judge without the Son, and the Son's not going to judge without the Father. There's not going to be a resurrection by the Father without the Son nor by the Son without the Father. There's not going to be uh, any redemption by the Father without the Son, nor by the Son without the Father. They are, they are together in all things. 
You can't have one without the other. You can't honor the Father without honoring the Son. You can't honor the Son without honoring the Father. You come to both. They're not separate. They are one. Two in person and one in essence. And so Jesus has been showing that even through the resurrection, the first resurrection, the salvation of the souls of men and women, and the last resurrection of the whole world, and the judgment and the division, which is what we looked at last time. Even in those, the Father and the Son are one. And so here in verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. So Jesus says this, I'm not down here separate from God doing my own thing. I can't of my own will do anything, because He and the Father are so connected. We saw in chapter 1 how that even before the foundation and creation of the world, the Word and the Father, they were, they were one then and they loved one another and here they are again. They're one. They love one another and they have the same will. What the Father's will was, the Son's will was. His desire was to carry out the will of the Father. And it was that, that was the reason that He was here. So as the Father led Jesus, so Jesus did. Jesus says, it's not me down here doing my own thing, but I'm here by the hand of God, and it's God's will that I am doing. Now remember, they are accusing Him of breaking the commandment of God. And He says, I'm doing God's will. Ain't it something how that these sinners accuse the Lord of breaking the law and yet they see no law breaking in their own account. That's the way man is. Man thinks awful highly of himself. He thinks awful low of others. And it's a blind and corrupt carnal mind that produces that. It is. There's not one greater than another in the kingdom of men and amongst the flesh of men. There's not. And so in Christ Jesus, He tries to restore our seeing of that. Now, this Word, it's not going to restore their sight. They're still going to hate Him. But by the grace and Spirit of God, God does open eyes of a few, and they come and believe. Verse 31 now, He's doing the will of the Father. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, He's not saying that what I'm saying about myself, I'm lying. But what He's saying is if I'm the only witness as to me, then how can you believe a witness like that? (coughs) Maybe you can see it as an example. Here's a man that has come... He said He's the Christ. He said He's the Son of God. He said He's the Savior of the world. And He said, I'm here to do the will of God. Now those claims are hard to believe. And if all you had was that man's words, you'd think that man is a nut. Well, Jesus has got greater witnesses than just His Word 
that He is what He is. And that's what the remainder of this chapter is. The witnesses to the claim that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So verse 31, verse 32, There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness he witnesses of me is true. So Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. If His claim was all that there was, there was no other witness, it'd be very difficult to believe. And that's what Satan and the world would like to push on the church. You're you're really making a leap in the dark. I mean, you don't have a place to hold on to. You don't have any claims to truth other than, well, you think that's the case. Well, God's going to show us witnesses. He says, I have another. In John chapter 1, verse 33, this is John the Baptist speaking. He that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. In John chapter, or 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, This is he which came by water, and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. So we know at Jesus' baptism, there was a manifestation that the John the Baptist saw that bore witness that Jesus was the Son of God, along with the voice of the Father. We also know that the Spirit is the witness, the witness that convinces and Uh, convicts our hearts. But as Jesus is walking on the earth now, He's doing all of these things and the Spirit of God is abiding upon Him. There is the witness of the Holy Ghost that Jesus was who that He said He was. In verse 33, You sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I received not testimony from man... But these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in His light. So first, we've got the witness of John the Baptist. John the Baptist in this time, he was highly respected. You put yourself in this day, there had been more than 400 years without a word from God. There was no prophet that spoke. There was no oracles that came to the priest. It was they, they had the Old Testament and they were serving God in the temple day by day, but there was no illumination and there was no word from God. And then one day out of the blue, down at the temple, Zacharias is going through the motions as he's always done and God appears in the angel form to Zacharias and says, you're going to have a son. He's going to be named John. He's going to be the forerunner. And Zacharias didn't believe it. And God shut his mouth. Now when Zacharias comes out, he can't talk anymore. He can't say. And there's there's knowledge that something's going on here. Then Elizabeth, a barren woman who hadn't had children her whole life and was up in years, here she winds up pregnant, brings forth John, And when they're trying to name him, nobody knows what to name him. They want to name him a family name. Zacharias writes, his name is John. God opens his mouth 
and he testifies of the glory of God and God remembering the covenant that he had made with Israel. That was the first words that there were from God in more than 400 years. So this is being talked about. When they gather up in Jerusalem, when they gather up there to talk uh, at the feast and at the Passover, this is going through. You know what happened down at the temple there last week? You know what happened a few months ago? And now they've had a young and now he can speak again and he's testified to the work of God. And then in 30 years, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and they were obsessed with clean living. John is clean living to the extent that no man we know of has ever went to. He's living on his own in the wilderness. He's got camel's hair on and locusts and wild honey is his meat. And his labor is to preach the gospel. And so he's out there preaching and baptizing saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Savior is coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. And he was very well respected. Respected so much that when Jesus asks them the question, John's preaching, was it of heaven or was it of men? They couldn't answer it either way. They couldn't say it was of heaven because they didn't believe him. But they also couldn't say it was of men because John was held in high regard as a prophet. And so here, John the Baptist, the first witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist who was out preaching repentance, preaching prepare the way of the Lord. He baptized the Lord Jesus. He saw the Spirit. We saw it twice in the Gospel of John. And no telling how many times in actuality that John pointed and said, This is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I didn't know who He was until the Spirit came down. I saw with mine own eyes the Spirit come down. I heard the voice from heaven. I know that this is the Savior of the world. This is Him. So John the Baptist was a witness of who the Lord Jesus Christ was. Listen to what Herod said of John in Mark chapter 6. Now, Herod wasn't... uh, uh, a godly man by any stretch of the imagination. But in Mark 6 verse 20, Herod feared John knowing he was a just man and holy and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Even the the godless kings of the earth, people in authority, they respected John and believed that this is a holy man. Now Herod's going to cut his head off But still, he was respected as a holy man. In Galatians chapter number 4, verse 15, Where is then this blessedness you spake of? For I bear your record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Ain't it amazing how this stuff happens? That here's John the Baptist, he's respected by everybody. He's even respected by Herod. And yet Herod cuts off John's head. And so Paul to the Galatians, you know where they had went? They had went from saved by grace and grace alone and trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus and they were reverting back to works 
to getting into heaven. That Jesus wasn't sufficient to, to save me and make me righteous before God. I had to go back and keep the law again. Now, when they made that turn of doctrine, and Paul didn't preach that doctrine, you know what they did? They hated him. And so Paul says here, there was a time that you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. But where did that go? Do you hate me? Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That's what happened to the Baptist. He was hated because he told Herod and Herodias the truth. And he lost his head for the truth's sake. And the truth is what brings hatred of the witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what brought hatred of the Lord Himself while He was on this earth. And it's what brings hatred and ire towards the church today. If you'll tell us smooth things, we'll love you. The world will love you. But if it's the truth you're going to preach, you will be hated. You will be hated not because you're rude, not because you're mean, not because you've done wrong to anybody, but you'll be hated for the truth that you speak. And it happens. That's the way the world is. So we need not be surprised to be hated for the truth's sake. Jesus told His disciples, when you're hated for my sake, rejoice. And so let us stand upon the truth of the Word of God. So here was John. He was a burning and shining light. And ye were willing for a season to rejoice. That time had come and gone. John was forgot about. But John was a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, <coughs> the same works that I do. Bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And so here's, we've got greater witness than John. John the Baptist was a burning and shining light. He was a good man. He had a good reputation. He was respected among the Jews and the Gentiles. John the Baptist said this man was the Son of God. To Andrew and Peter and those that were his followers, that was enough for them. But to a multitude it was not. So Jesus says, I've got a greater witness than John. These works that I do. Now the works, the healings, the resurrections and the raising from the dead. Here in this chapter we see a man that had been had an infirmity for 38 years. He was paralyzed. He couldn't help himself. They knew this man. They knew this man's family. They know the blind man that's coming up. They know that man's family. They know Lazarus. They know Lazarus' family. And Jesus is going to perform all of these works in front of their faces and they're going to know that a miracle's taking place. They say this in the book of Acts when Peter and John get the lame man up. What are we going to do about this? A notable miracle's been done by them. Here's a witness that can't be denied. The blind man says, this I know. I was blind, but now I'm seeing. How are you going to deny the works 
that the Lord has done. But you know, there was a crowd that was present at Mary and Martha's house that walked to the grave with the Lord and with the mourners and with the crowd that saw the stone roll back and could smell the decay on the inside and saw a man come out in filthy, bloody grave clothes and they saw him unwrap him and they saw that he was alive and yet they did not believe. They went back to the Jews and said, boy, he's raised somebody from the dead. Now now what are we going to do? And they wanted to kill Lazarus because Lazarus' life was such a witness to the power of the Lord. You're telling me that if a man was in a coffin had been dead four days, was laying up here, and I got him up in front of your face, that there would be people that wouldn't believe? How much more convincing work could be done? Could I do anything more convincing that I was the Son of God than that? Is there? I mean, we could empty the whole graveyard, but really a man that you know and that you know died and that you know had been embalmed and that you knew he had been there four days and he gets up. Can anything more convincing be done? You see, and, and yet there's a crowd that doesn't believe. Now how do you explain that? They're blind, ain't they? They're blind. It's not miracles of the flesh that get people to believe. If it was, they would have believed his works. But he's going to do all of these works. He's going to heal countrysides. He's going to heal towns. You'll read it in Mark several different times. And he healed all their sick. He's going to go and he's going to run disease and infirmity out of the country and yet he's going to be rejected and they're going to crucify him. Well, if, if God will just heal me, I'll be at church. And it never happens, does it? You know what's wrong? People are in darkness. I, if there's any greater witness that there must be the grace of God to open man's eyes and bring him unto a knowledge of the truth, I believe right here it is. We've got witness of what the Lord did while He was on the face of the earth. And you say, well, you've got a 2,000 year old book. How do you believe that? Well, when it was written, there was more enemies of the truth than there were friends of the truth. And if it had been false, they would have proved it false. They would have done away with it then. But Paul could say, Jesus was seen of a 500 brethren many of which are still alive. You know what that tells me? To the letter written to the Corinthians, if you don't believe it, just go look them up. You can go find these witnesses that will bear witness to the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the works that I do, they bear witness. They are evidence given that I am who I say I am. How do you know that Jesus is the Son of God? The Holy Spirit has borne witness. John the Baptist has borne witness. The works and the miracles that the Lord Jesus has done, they are evidence 
that He is, who that He says He is. It's not just His Word now. And the Father Himself which hath sent me, verse 37, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His shape. So the Father Himself has borne witness. It was the Father's voice at that baptism that said, This is my beloved Son. It was the Father's voice on the Mount of Transfiguration that said, This is my beloved Son. And I realize there was very few that heard either one of those. Jesus Himself says, You've not heard His voice. But we know Peter, he says, I was an eyewitness. I was there in person. I saw him transfigured. I saw his glory. I saw Moses and I saw Elijah there with him. And I heard the voice come out of heaven say, This is my son. God the Father bore witness that Jesus was the Son of God. An unmistakable witness of who the Lord Jesus is. So in John chapter 6, verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For Him, the Son, hath God the Father sealed. God the Father had put His stamp on the Lord Jesus that He was His Son. The anointing of the Spirit was a great sealing of the Lord that Jesus was the Son of God. But the great works that He done, those were of the Father as well. In Matthew 3, lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. Matthew 17, you'll read about the transfiguration. And in John 12, Father, glorify Thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it. So you've got John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit, the works of the Lord Jesus, and the the personal voice of the Lord in heaven. God the Father has borne witness to who the Lord Jesus is. Verse 38 And ye have not His Word abiding in you, for whom He hath sent Him ye believe not. How do you know that they don't have His Word in Him? Because they're unbelievers. Now that's the Lord's explanation. If you did have the Word in you, you would believe. But you do not, and therefore you do not believe. Verse 39, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. So search the Scriptures. Look through the Old Testament. You think that in them, that's where your life is coming from. But you know what the message of the Old Testament really was? The Lord Jesus Christ. You think about the testimonies now. Here we, we're going to add the Scriptures to the list. What kind of testimony did the Scripture give of Jesus Christ? Well, in the books of Moses, we see the reason why Jesus is coming. We see the fall of man in the garden. And we see man, I tell you, it's, ain't it something? Here's man in the garden. Here's God's creation. 
Here's everything good in God's eyes. In chapter 3, here's sin and the entrance of it. And in chapter 4, here's Cain killing his brother Abel. Boy, it didn't take long to go downhill, did it? You know why we needed a Savior? Sin. And so you've got many types and shadows through the Old Testament. But just, just a few. They said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. That was true, wasn't it? That bore witness. They said that Jesus was, would come from a virgin. That was true, wasn't it? That bore witness to Him. They said that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. Because of persecution and the seeking after Jesus' life, they dwelt in Nazareth, remember? They went down to Egypt, they came back to Nazareth. He was called a Nazarene. It bore witness of Him. They told of the works that He was going to do while He was here. He was going to restore the kingdom. Now man in his carnal mind is looking naturally at all these things, but yet he did what the Scripture said. They told of his death, that he was going to be a suffering servant, a victorious servant, but one that would suffer to bring about that victory. Isaiah 53, we heard it preached yesterday. You think Isaiah had a vision of what the Lord Jesus was coming to do? You know what Isaiah's writing 750 years before the Lord done? They bore witness that Jesus was who He said that He was. They told of His resurrection. They told of His eternal victory. And the Scriptures bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not finished yet, but you talk about an all-star lineup of testimony that we have to the authentication of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been authenticated. There is evidence, and it's beyond reasonable doubt, that this man was the Son of God. You won't win the court case that he wasn't who that he said he was. The Scriptures testify of me (coughs) to be a witness, to give testimony, or to provide evidence. That's what the word means. The Scriptures were a testimony of the Lord. Verse 40, And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men. So you will not determine to choose, to prefer, to wish, or to be inclined to. There's no inclination for you to come to me that you might have life. Isn't that amazing? Is that not the way that man is? If we stopped with witnesses, and this is all that we had, and here's the servant that's come to remedy the problem of sin, to deliver us from the wrath of God that we've already heard about in the verses previous, to deliver us from the resurrection of damnation, and to give us eternal life. What about that deal is bad? Is there anything bad in what the Lord has come to do? It's for me and my benefit. But look at what man does. Is there any way that's more hated in all of the world than the gospel way? There's not. There's not a way. 
that's more hated than the way of the gospel. Man is not inclined to follow after the Lord Jesus. Man's not inclined to seek the Word of God and search the Scriptures. And it's the same case. Man is blind. He's corrupted in the fall. He's under the control of Satan and man has no inclination to come to God on his own. The Scriptures testify to that. The Scriptures testify that there's none righteous, there's none that doeth good, there's none that seeketh after God. No, not one. And so here's the Lord with all these witnesses, and yet ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men. What's God looking for from me? People are hung up in the flesh. It's emotional worship. It's carnal worship. It may be pocketbook worship, but it's all about me and what I'm going to do. If the Lord has these miracles and the Father and the Spirit and John the Baptist to bear witness, do you think He needs me? What am I in, in line with those folk? It's not something of man that God's looking for. David himself said, if it, was, if it was sacrifice, I would give it. Maybe that wasn't David. Maybe that was Isaiah. It's not about what I can provide. But that's what man's hung up on. It's me. And it's what I do. But I receive not honor from men, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. Now you talk about a jab to the heart of man. They said they did have the love of God. They said they were God's servants. They said that they did believe the law of God. They said that they were better than everybody else. Nobody else's works compares to ours. We are zealous of the law. And we seek to keep it in every facet of our life. And of the flesh, that might be true. But God is not accepting honor, and God is looking inward. Do you know what motivated them to do what they did? They wanted honor from men. It was not any contrition in their heart. It was not any great love for God that made them do this service. But they wanted to walk down the street and people look up to them and say, boy, there's a man of God. There's a woman of God. There's one that lives righteous. There's one that's good. Boy, he's good. There's nobody that prays like that fella. There's nobody that lives as clean as that fella does. And they puffed their chest out and they wore their phylacteries and they made long their garments and they were puffed up in pride. And that was their motivation for their service. If we're not careful, we'll fall into that. We'll seek after the awe and the love and the, uh, I don't know, the aspirations of man. We'll want man to think well of us. And that'll be what we seek after. But Jesus says, I know what's in you. I know why you do what you do. 
Steve preached about the word uh, dividing and the discerner of the thoughts and intents. God's getting past my check that I put in the offering plate today and He's looking in to see why that I do what I do. Why that I'm here. What motivates me? He knows your heart. I am come in my Father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. Here's the Lord Jesus, sinless, spotless, working miracles and healing sick, and they reject him. But Gamal can come out in his robe of righteousness and in his good works and can give a ten-minute speech and they'll grovel at his feet. And he's doing it for himself. It happens today. Preachers that preach and they're in it for their honor, their glory, and they're in it for, Peter says, they're going to make merchandise of you. You're going to be their merchandise that they buy and sell for their own profit. Whether it's money in the pocket or it's esteem and it's the pride of the Pharisees. Jesus come in His Father's name. He was selfless. He was not seeking their money. He didn't take their money. He didn't buy a house with their money. He didn't have a horse with their money. When it comes time to ride into Jerusalem, you know what He done? Borrowed somebody else's. Because the foxes have holes. The birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. What reason did these people have to reject this man? He told them, you know, he said, you're the father of the devil. That's right. You're, you're the devil. But, just don't want to hear the truth, do they? No, they don't. Do you see right there, do you see how illogical that man can be? A lot of times the accusations made to the church that you're not logically thinking. But the truth is, the Bible is even logical with man. That's not enough to turn people to the truth. The Lord Jesus done all these works. I don't see any reason at all why you would turn this man away. And yet, before the grace of God opened my eyes, I turned this man away. And you turned this man away. And everybody that's ever lived turned this man away. Paul the Apostle sought to kill the church and turned this man away. Man's a lot blinder than people think he is. People think, well, he might be blind, but he can see just a little bit. He can see just enough to save himself. If he's dead, he's dead. You receive him not. If another come in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only. You know what they sought after? Honor from their brothers. I I know you've seen it. I've seen it. There's those. All they want you to do is just, you're you're a good one. And they, they take pleasure in that. And it's my nature. My nature is to fall right in there too. But look at how they are. They'd rather have a man that's in it for himself 
than the Lord Jesus that's in it for them. That's how badly that man hates the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and not the honor from God only? They are not concerned about God bearing witness. As long as you think I'm alright, that's all that matters. As long as you think I'm a good person, as long as the pastor thinks I'm alright, as long as uh, my co-workers think that I'm high and holy, that's good enough for me. But we don't give a nickel what God thinks. I'm not worried about that. Just worried about you. Just that you think I'm good. It's a shame, isn't it? It's a shame. But that's the way man is. That's the way man is. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. One that accuses you. Even Moses, in whom you trust. Remember in John chapter 3, when we went through there, I'm not come to condemn the world. And I think sometimes the gospel is saying, well, that condemns me. I don't like the gospel because it condemns me. When the truth is, it's all that man's mind is always backwards. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came because the world was already condemned. Jesus didn't come to send the world to hell. He came because the world was already going to hell. And if God doesn't intervene and do something, that's where man's going. Now that's the way it was before the Lord Jesus. If Jesus doesn't come, everybody's going to hell. Period. Is that not right? There's no hope. The Lord came not to condemn. Man's already condemned. Problem is he don't know it. Jesus came to give life. Jesus came to be a sacrifice. Jesus came to pay what man could not pay. He came to propitiate sin. What the gospel does and what the word of the Lord does is reveal my condemnation. Whether I ever hear the gospel or not, I'm condemned. Even in Romans chapter 1, even them that don't know the law of God, they're condemned because they've not done right by their own conscience. That's what the Bible says in Romans 1 and in Romans 2. Those that don't know the law of God, the law written in them is a law unto themselves. Man's guilty and he can't get away from being guilty. And man says, well, what about this innocent person that's never heard the gospel? Well, show me an innocent person. And then we'll talk about hearing the gospel. There is no innocent people. Man's guilty. Jesus came to a guilty world. And so, do not think that I will accuse you. Don't think that I've made your condition worse. That means to be a plaintiff, to charge with some offense. Jesus did not come to be a plaintiff. Man was already guilty of the law. And in Romans 3, you'll read that the law already had men chained up in guilt and the mouths were stopped and the whole world was guilty. Not just the Jews, but the whole world was shut up in prison and guilty before God. Whether Jesus comes or not, that's where man was. He was held there. The law had him there. 
Jesus came as a remedy to that situation. It's Moses in whom you trust. Ain't it amazing that man that trusts in his works and what he's done, in reality, it's his works and what he's done that makes him guilty. They were trusting in Moses and in the law and in their keeping of it. And Jesus says it is that law and the keeping of it that's going to judge you. But see, they had figured ways around the law in their mind. The law of honor your father and mother. They had decided, well, if you just say it's a gift, that I'm going to give my money and my time to the temple, then it's acceptable for you to do that and neglect. The Lord Jesus talks about this in Matthew. They were neglecting to keep and help their father and mother by saying it's a gift, we're giving it to the temple instead of to you. And Jesus said, full well, you reject the commandment of God that you might do your own thing. It's not a quote, and I realize that, and I apologize for that. But it's the law that's condemning. It's the law that has made us guilty. In Luke chapter 16 the Pharisees also which were covetous heard these things and they derided Him. They were covetous. What were they covetous of? Glory. Honor. The praise of men. In John chapter 12, verse 43, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They loved man and His honor more than they did God's honor. And that's, that's what they got. So Moses' law, in whom they trust, is the accuser, the plaintiff. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. So the last witness on this list, we had the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord Jesus, you can count that as well as one of them. You had the witness of the Father Himself. The witness of John the Baptist. The witness of each and every prophet in the Word of God. The witness of David Himself. The witness of all of the men in the Old Testament patriarchy that told of the Lord and the salvation that was to come. And the seventh witness here is Moses. Moses bore witness and wrote of me. Even to the extent Moses wrote that a prophet like me is coming and him you will hear. And so if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? So the very word that they thought they believed and trusted and followed after was the very word that was going to condemn and bring them down. I believe it's in one of the smaller prophets said, my words have taken hold of them and is bringing them into judgment. And so here it's the word of Moses. It's the law. The law's all that's needed to convict a man. And really, there's only one law. 
that's needed to convict and find a man guilty. And it's the first one. The Lord thy God is one Lord. Shall have no other gods before me, nothing before God. You'll love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every man on the face of the earth has put himself in front of God more than once. We've put our pleasure, we've put our money, we've put our desire, we've had something before God more than once in our life, and by the law we're guilty. But thank God that Moses, in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve went against the Word of God, Moses wrote about a Savior that was coming to bruise the head of the serpent. Moses told me how bad I was. Moses told me I was wretched but he wrote about a Savior that was coming from God that was going to purge my sin and bring me into the family of God. And if you believed Moses, you would believe me. If you believed the Word of God, you'd believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't believe the Word and not believe in Jesus. I can't remember exactly how it went, but the Sadducees maybe... The Sadducees only believed Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books of Moses. I believe that's right. And the Pharisees believed the whole Old Testament canon. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection. But you know, even the Lord Jesus here, He narrows it down to the first five books of Moses. And He says, if you had believed Moses you would believe me because I'm the one that Moses has testified of. That's all that's on our heart. We'll stop right there and pick up in chapter 6 next time. Anything on your heart you'd like to say? Anything you'd